this is Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take today to be an effective nonprofit leader? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles that nonprofit leaders face today? Particularly in Park City, what does it take to be a leader in a community where there's over 80 nonprofits? How do we, as nonprofit leaders, effectively fundraise in an economy that's not necessarily solid? All those reasons combined have led me to start this podcast so that we as a nonprofit community and as a larger community can learn from each other as to the insights and wisdom that each one of these leaders that we interview can share. Everything from how to be a better fundraiser, how to be a better vision caster, how to become a better recruiter. So enjoy these podcasts as we ask them very specific questions from their own community as to how they're making their world better. Today in the studio, we have Trisha Worthington, who is the Executive Vice President and Chief Development Officer for the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Team Foundation. I think you'll really enjoy today's podcast with Trish. She's going to talk about these key questions we all ask as nonprofit leaders and managers. Number one, how to choose a board member? Or what expectations should you have for your board members? Or what's the right size of a board for your organization? How much should your board members be involved with fundraising? And how can you turn your board members into the best fundraisers you have in your entire organization. Tips like that and more from this 20-year veteran of nonprofit organization and management leadership. And then on top of that, uh, she gives all kinds of new information about the USSA. Maybe you've heard about them, but you're not sure about that organization or how you can get involved. You'll learn about how all the ways that you can get involved with the USSA here in Park City, Utah. Enjoy today's podcast. Trisha, always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I know you've had a new role here, but uh, for those who maybe know a little bit about you but don't know your story, talk a little about how you got to Park City and your first role and how I think it was with the same organization and then it switched to the Park City Community Foundation and then back. So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got here and what brought you first to Park City. We'll start there. So I came to Park City almost 20 years ago. And it actually was for um, a job with the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Team Foundation. Um, I and what had, was your role there initially? Um, I was the head of all fundraising, um, head of the foundation, similar role to, to what I'm doing now. Uh, and I, was, um, I came most recently from Denver, Colorado, Denver. where I had um, got my first job out of college. I was working for an ad agency that um, had a bunch of clients who sponsored the Denver Nuggets. Oh, and fun. so I got to know the, a lot of the leadership at the Denver Nuggets. The head of the Nuggets left to come run the ski team. I didn't um, know that. Huh. Yeah, and he, he was the one that actually um, kind encouraged of brought me, over. Brought, brought me okay. over. Right. So I ran uh, the foundation and, and was in charge of all of the fundraising for the teams mm-hmm. for about 12 years. 12 years, yeah, okay. I did that for about That's 12 years. Time. And then um, when I was pregnant with my second child, uh, one of our board members who is a local here in Park City, John Cumming, 
um, who runs Park City Mountain Resort, you know, Powder Core, Powder Core mm -hmm. you know, many other resorts across the country approached me and he said, you don't want to travel anymore, do you? Because um, I had, you know, most of oh, the fundraising yeah. that the ski and snowboard team do are in major cities across the country. And sometimes there's even entertaining donors in Europe at World Cup races and whatnot. And so um, he, yeah, he, the answer to his question was yes. Yeah. You know, I, I have two babies at home. Uh, leaving town was becoming more and more difficult. And he really wanted to try and get a community foundation. Um, ah, started okay. in Park City. He asked me if I would consider leaving the team and coming and helping um, start and uh, the Park City Community Foundation. And so right from the beginning, you were kind of there, I mean, when it wasn't even an official foundation, in a sense. Exactly. So there was a, there was a volunteer board in place, just mm -hmm. a very small, I think it was four or five individuals, who had spent a couple years just getting out in the community and trying to educate the community on what a community foundation does, what the benefits of a community foundation are, and um, Brad Olch who was our former, former mayor, mayor in Park City. He had seen uh, community foundations in other resort towns. Uh, when they visit other resort towns uh, to learn best practices, he had noticed that Steamboat and Vail and Telluride and... Um, they all had a community you know, foundation. They all had a community yeah. foundation. So he decided hmm. when he finished up his last term that that's kind of what he wanted to do. So he was one of the volunteer board members. He sat down with John Cumming. He got him very, very excited about it. Uh, the Cumming family decided to put some money into it so that they could hire a professional to come in and get it started. So yes, so I was there from the- From the very from beginning. The very beginning. So when did it officially start? So I started in April of 2007. 2007, yeah. okay. Yeah. So and right from the get-go, you were the director. I was the director, mm -hmm. yeah. So started um, at home. At a, Did you really? Office and at home. Wow. Um, you know, just with the basics. I mean, it was pretty much a, a startup. Um, I was going to say, you creating, had no, yeah. There was no governance. There mm -hmm. was no board meetings. There were no programs to sell. There were no donor programs. So it was pretty much starting from nothing. Too. Wow, we're going to get back to that mm -hmm. now and what that was like. Okay, mm -hmm. so then you were there for seven years. Yep, yep. And then just now transitioned to the current role, back to uh, U.S. Ski and Snowboard Team Foundation. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about that. What was uh, That's probably hard to leave. You started this organization, mm -hmm. uh, the foundation, been very successful. I mean, people in Park City are very familiar with that. Mm -hmm. um, tell us about the thinking behind that. What drew you? We, yeah. John Cumming obviously drew you initially away, yeah. but what brought you back? So the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Association, after the Sochi Olympics, transitioned to new leadership. They had had the same leader, Bill Merolt, who was amazing, running that organization. And after Sochi, uh, Tiger Shaw, who's the CEO now, um, came in. Uh, Tiger and I had worked together uh, when I was there. He was on the board when I was there the, the first okay. time. Um, I had no intentions of, of leaving the Community Foundation. Absolutely loved that role, loved what I was doing, loved what the organization was doing for the community. Um, but, you know, when I left USSA, I didn't leave because I didn't like the job. I left for family reasons. Um, sure. I actually love um, what I was doing there also. Mm -hmm. And so um, Tiger just asked me if I would consider coming back. And initially, I'm like, oh, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think I'm going to do that. And then I sat down with my husband, and the more we talked about it, the more excited I got. And yeah, I realized, okay. okay, maybe this is something I need to consider. 
So interesting, mm-hmm. and you're at a stage of life where it's okay. And right, so my yeah, kids are older mm-hmm. now. I mm-hmm. I can travel. My my husband's job is a little bit more flexible, so he can step in when when I'm on the road. And very um, nice. Timing timing had a lot to do with it. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Well, mm-hmm. And then you left uh, the Park City Community Foundation in good hands with Katie Wright. We actually interviewed her in her last last podcast. So, um, And you trained her well. In fact, she spoke very highly of you of how you really kind of showed her the ropes, if you will, because yes. she kind of came in at a very, at the basic level, if you will, and rose through the ranks mm-hmm. to that now director position. So good job on that of handing the baton well. Yeah. Yeah. That was a succession plan that actually worked. Yeah. There you go. Is- <laughs> it doesn't always happen. I know, which so. is great to see. But Katie, was there kind of my right hand person um, very very early on I think I hired her four months after I had been on the job Did you mentioned that yeah right. so she she's been there from the beginning as well and you know for everyone that knows Katie she's brilliant she's passionate mm-hmm. she's community focused and you know she she's willing to take on anything um, and it you know we did do a national search we talked to a lot of very experienced um, executive directors of community foundations across the country, but Katie rose to the top. That says a lot about her, mm-hmm. and that doesn't surprise me at all. So, mm-hmm. yep. excellent. Yep. So, let's go now talk about uh, nonprofit leadership as a whole. You know, that's one of the things we like to do with this podcast is really kind of get the word out for people who want to know what it's like on the inside, you know, to lead an organization. And you've led now back, you've been in three different organizations, both very dynamic organizations, do a lot of things. Um, And in fact, now you're an organization that's all over the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So talk about that. And you can either pick um, either one of those experiences. Number one, what do you most like about it? Like if someone is listening and they're considering maybe switching and going into a a nonprofit career, why would they do that? Like, what what about it drives you and excites you when you yeah. wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, I love what I get to do? So, um, you know, what I most like about it, I think I think the thing about nonprofit work is you, you get to um, do what you're passionate about. Um, you get to help people. And if that's something that, that inspires you and, and excites you and you can get paid to do that, um, I think that is, you know, a, a big draw. Um, so passion, something, yeah, you're really actually excited yeah, you, about. You get to wake up mm-hmm. every day and do something you love. Um, and, and, you know, that maybe you don't get paid as much, but you, it, it you know, kind of balances trade-offs, out, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think, um, the, probably the, the challenges, especially with a small organization like the community foundation, um, and as a leader of an organization like that, you have to be good at everything. Kind of a jack of all trades a little yeah, bit. Okay. So you have to market, you have to know how to, um, you know, do accounting and CPA work and manage people and boards and, um, you know, you name it. Um, so that's... You can't specialize then, therefore. You can't. And even that. at a director level, mm-hmm. you would say that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, especially in a small mm-hmm. nonprofit Good organization. Um, now, if you look at my role at the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Association, mm-hmm. much bigger organization. Mm-hmm. They have a marketing department. They have an accounting department. Um, so the, Much more specialization Yeah. yeah. There. And the nice thing about that is that now I can focus on what I, I think I'm truly good at um, and, you know, which makes it more fun. So I yeah. can focus on fundraising mm-hmm. and board management and I'm not worried about insurance and payroll and, you know, all that. Other Absolutely. Stuff. You although, just take that off. Yeah. Although, you know, having that experience of doing everything is invaluable and it's made me a better, 
you know, just a better professional, a stronger professional, you know, because I've at one point done it all. Right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So how is it making you better? I know you're somewhat new in your job, uh-huh. but how is it making you better already? What, what part of that knowing everything and doing everything helps you be a, a better leader? Well, I think you just go in with a lot more confidence, you know, because you've kind of experienced a lot. Um, and so when you are up against, you know, making major decisions, you can really pull from, from your experience. And so, and that just brings a level of confidence uh, yeah. that, you know, I think as you switch jobs, and I, I'm kind of a firm believer that you shouldn't stay in the same job forever. Um, That's kind of your MO a little bit. <laughs> uh, it is, it is. Do you, I, you think stay out of, change organizations or, or move within that organization? Make I sure think you're you moving? can move within the organization, but mm-hmm. I think it's good to be challenged and to learn new things. And um, as long as you want to grow professionally, that's something that, you know, you need to think about. Good, good advice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that in terms of things you've learned. Obviously, that's one piece of it is to stay fresh and, and keep moving. As a, both a director and now you're a development uh, director, mm-hmm. what are some of the biggest challenges, you know, as a nonprofit leader? Like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm thinking now the person who's listening um, maybe is a donor to various nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you want them to know? Like, what are the biggest challenges that you face on a daily basis or you've faced in the past on a daily basis as a nonprofit leader? Um, you know, I think it's just time, you know, and having mm-hmm. time to, to, to do it all. And, you know, when it comes specific to, to donors, um, enough time to communicate and to, um, you know, I hate it. I always hate it when I'm, you know, looking at the end of the year and there's a bunch of donors that whose gifts, you know, need to be renewed. And I haven't called them you know, kind of consistently throughout the year or I haven't. Like, oh no. You're, yeah. yeah. But you know, it comes down to, you know, time. You've got to make that you, call, right? You really okay. do. So, um, I think, I think that's kind of like the, the biggest. And is it a time management piece or is it more just, there's so much to do knowing really where to spend your time and making sure it doesn't creep into family life. Is that the bigger challenge? I mean, you think? that's part of it. I also think that you know a lot of the smaller nonprofits don't have big budgets. So if you had you know a couple development people, you can split you the go. donors amongst you, and then the communication and the you know the touches throughout the year um, can happen as they should. But um, when it's just it's, you, I mean, yeah, it's hard yeah. when and you need a development person, but you also need an accountant. You know, someone who's running programs. So you gotta, you just kind of gotta do it all. <laughs> absolutely. It makes sense. No, and I can feel that as a director yeah, too. Right. I absolutely understand that. Yeah. Um, and then when you were, particularly the role of the Community Foundation, you got to see the wide swath of all the nonprofits mm-hmm. here in Park City. Mm-hmm. Were there other, besides that, of the time management or just having enough time to do things, mm-hmm. were there other themes that continue to come up as you interacted with executive directors perhaps or other nonprofit leaders? Were there things that were just constant themes that you heard or saw um, when it came to your role in that uh, Community Foundation? I think constant themes that I heard uh, number one was probably fundraising challenge and partly because there are so many nonprofits in Park City. There really is, right? We talked about that, right? Right, and everyone's kind of, you know, going after the same 500 donors. Uh, You see kind of the same people at all of the big fundraising events. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, And so, yeah, so how how do you not bother Mm. people? Um, How do you stand out um, amongst all the other 90 nonprofits that are out there? Um, that's that's probably one of the biggest. I think um, we also heard a lot of governance challenges. 
So how to manage a board and what's the, what's the role of a board member versus the executive director? And where is yeah. that line where they get involved or, or, or don't get involved? I think um, so. We always tried to um, spend a lot of time listening to what the nonprofits were, were challenged with, and then we'd bring in education around kind of common themes. But I That's think where Maddie Shear comes in, correct? In yeah. that round yes, table? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so, perfect. Okay. But I, yeah, I think those two things. And then also just um, um, managing of nonprofit books. You know, different than, than for-profit. And so uh, that was also something else we heard a lot about. And where do people get help for that? Is that also, did you provide education? Was that more through like the UNA or? Yeah, I think UNA. I think we, we did do a session um, on that, just on kind of the basics. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, nonprofits really should have a good CPA in their back pocket that, that provides guidance and um, helps them set up um, their, their systems initially make that an investment initially that's worth the investment okay mm-hmm. well that's mm-hmm. a good point so for your nonprofit leader and say you are maybe small to even maybe medium mm-hmm. and you're debating okay i can either give my current staff a little bit of a raise or i can stretch my staff a bit and hire another person mm-hmm. and maybe you know keep that budget a certain way um where would you recommend them investing that uh, extra income? And, or, or do you say, go fundraise even more and just continue to fundraise so that you have more to work with? Yeah. What would you recommend that uh, small to medium-sized leader? Yeah, I think, um, I think fundraising. I mean, That's a you, big piece. You need to invest there. And I think that um, we need to get out of the mindset of only fundraising through events. Uh, because they're yeah, not. Talk about that. Yeah, because there's always an event every weekend, it seems like, in the yeah. height of nonprofit, you know, season of uh, fundraising. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, talk about that. What What are yeah. the other ways to do it? Yeah. So, you know, the, the thing about events is they're, they're great for um, stewarding your donors. They're great for PR and getting your message out to a large group of people in one day. But they're not that cost efficient. You know, it's the most expensive way to raise money. Um, and so I would like to see more nonprofits um, really investing in education and doing traditional major gift fundraising. So, so explain that for just someone who maybe has not heard that or run across that. What, what does that mean? Right. So um, there are fundraising specialists, we call them major gift officers, who will um, create what we call a portfolio of donors or prospects. Most major gift officers will manage, uh, you know, if they're full-time, anywhere from 100 to 150 donors or prospects. And it's kind of what we were talking about before. It's, a, it's consistently communicating with them, inviting them to the events, um, you know, just really getting to know them so that you're telling them about the work that they're interested in. And um, it just it creates a more engaged um, donor. Because um, you have when, that personal relationship. Right. And, you know, if you have a more engaged donor, more than likely you're going to get a bigger gift. And it's a much more cost-efficient way to, to raise money than, than, you know, and then you use the events to steward those donors. You bring them to those events and Rather let than them... Rather yeah. makes sense. So mm-hmm. almost kind of turn around the purpose of the event itself. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And do you think that's real? Say, so an executive director and maybe they have two other staff members. Does the executive director primarily be the one that does that? Do mm-hmm. you think all three of them should be doing the fundraising, building relationships? I think or? everyone on the staff, especially mm-hmm. in a small organization, should have a small, small portfolio of donors. You know, the executive director may be... 25 to 50 people because of everything else that they're doing. The development person, 
100, 150 programs person, maybe 25. Um, but even your, your, your finance person should have maybe five people that they're reaching out to and, mm-hmm. you know, sending, uh, you know, interesting bits of information about your organization. Um, I think everyone need, needs to do that. So and across the board. the board. And the board. Well, that, that's going to be my next question. The board. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, in an ideal world, and yes. rarely do we live there, but yeah. in an ideal world, yeah, what would you say if you could just wave your magic wand? What would be the perfect board look like when it came specifically to fundraising? Yeah. I think um, you need to have a board that agrees to fundraise. Everyone agrees to fundraise. And I know some, some board members. Um, shy away from, from, from fundraising. But I think those board members think fundraising is actually sitting down with a friend and making an ask when there's so much more that goes into fundraising. Um, you know, it's just helping with communications, helping with thank yous, make, making sure certain people are invited to all the events that you're doing. Um, it's the cultivation of the donor that the board member isn't comfortable being an asker we, we need help as staff with everything else that, that ultimately leads to a, a gift from a donor. So how do you have that board member that says, I just don't have the time, or in Park City, maybe they're a second homeowner, they're not here all the time. Mm-hmm. How do you handle that? What do you do in terms of, uh, as a director, yeah. gently leading them in a different direction? Do you, how do you handle that? So I think um, when you bring a board member on, you have a, a page of expectations. So up front. Up front, even before the the board votes on them. uh, You sit down with them and, you know, tell them we'd love to have you. You have this level of expertise. We think you'd be a great addition to the board. Here are our expectations of board members. And typically those expectations will be attend the board meetings, if not in person, on the phone. Um, Sit on a couple of the different committees or task forces. Um, Introduce the organization to five prospective donors Host so you give some real measurables. Yeah, and real then clear. we would, at the Kimi Foundation, we actually would have all of our board members do self-evaluations every year. Would you really? Yeah. So, and who would oversee that or manage that? Would the so I, director? Yeah, as the director, I okay. would just send out, you know, here's the expectation worksheet that you signed. Interesting, um, right. Grade yourself. And they would grade themselves. And um, Did that come across well? Like did they? Yeah, they, they, they all responded. did it. Um, and you know, it, 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 there's always a situation where you have a board member that maybe at the time that they joined the board, they had, had time, but something changed in their life, new job, you know, personal things. They don't have the time anymore. And it's, and it's always turned into a nice way to transition them off the board because they pretty much self transition and you don't have to do it. Because you've been so clear with the expectations. Mm-hmm. They know, Hey, yeah. I can't measure up. So, yeah. okay. Exactly. So it makes your conversation easy. Mm-hmm. Do you have a perfect size of a board? Like, what's your ideal size of a, a board? Knowing that they have expectations, they're going to be involved, they're mm-hmm. going to help fundraise. Mm-hmm. What would you uh, say is a perfect so size of a that's board? That's a tricky question. I think it depends on where the organization is and its, you know, and its you know how old the organization is. With a very young kind of up and coming organization, I think you need a smaller board, maybe eight people. And why would you say that? Well, you're dealing with everything from you know, office details to governance and policies. And you don't want to have to manage 20, 25 people having input on 
Because it would take forever. It probably, would take right? forever, and it would be so much to <laughs> Good manage. Good point. Well, point. Um, yeah, well but then, as you grow, and as fundraising becomes more and more important, because as you're growing, you're more than likely doing more programming. Um, you need more ambassadors out there, uh, and I think the best ambassadors for an organization are your board, because they're intimately familiar with who you are and what you do. So that's where I see the board grow. You know, maybe four or five years in, then you go from eight to 20, 25, you know. So significant growth. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. does it matter, like um, say the nonprofit uh, stays maybe a medium size, Uh, do you still have a large board? Do you think that's wise or do you kind of, is there, is it commensurate with the size of the organization itself? Yeah, you know, um, well, I mean, even if you're medium size, you still need to fundraise. So you would say, err on the side of more board members. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you also have to have an executive director who um, is good at board management. Because so, it lands to them to exactly. really manage that. Yeah, and if mm-hmm. that is their forte, then go big. Got it. Um, okay. If their forte is in another area, then maybe keep it medium size. You know, you just, Interesting. It's, it's not the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And what have you come across uh, besides the foundation itself? Because I know uh, they provide Maddie Shear, for example, mm-hmm. and they have lease locally in Park City, mm-hmm. uh, a round table. Um, what do you recommend, like, say, someone who is just has a heart, is doing the nonprofit work because it's their passion yeah. and they love it, and yet it's a struggle and they're having a hard time with board management, perhaps fundraising, so all kind of the key things you mentioned. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend them to do? Is there a resource out there? Would you recommend getting a coach, maybe a mentor? Mm-hmm. What would be those resources you? would point them yeah I think education I think the University of Utah has a great nonprofit um, program um, UNA offers very affordable uh, nonprofit sessions right that's Utah Nonprofits Association right your um, local community foundation there's the um, Salt Lake uh, community foundation there is or the Utah community foundation Park City community foundation I think there's others bubbling up um, that's you know they specialize. So there's in, resources out there in yeah. your mind. And I, and I think not just you, but bring your board member with you, because uh, a lot Good of times point. the challenge um, with board members is they they have never done this before, and so they need to be educated as well. So and do it along with the director, because mm-hmm. then yeah, learn together. Yeah. Well, then last uh, in just kind of a general thought, you know, you've been in now nonprofit work for what twenty Almost twenty years. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say twenty yeah. years. That's fantastic. Yeah. What has you have you ever kind of been tempted, if you will, to be pulled out of it? And if so, what would drive you out of the nonprofit world if you were ever were to uh, leave it? I, I'm in. I think you're in. You're, you're in. just yeah. You're a I, lifer. I love it. And you know, when I took the job uh, with the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Team Foundation the first time. I thought, okay, I'm coming for three years. I'm just going to get my feet wet in sport. Uh, I thought I wanted to work for an NBA team or an you know, NFL team and um, doing more PR marketing type stuff. And I got sucked in. I, so I you're love, in and you love it. Yes, I love it. I love the nonprofit work. I love working with volunteers. I love working with the board. Um, so I'm, I'm in. I don't think I'll, I think I'll always work for some sort of foundation or nonprofit organization yeah how fun though I love that mm-hmm. to see your passion and you're in a good place mm-hmm. 
All right, well, we're going to close with this. We want to give you an opportunity just to, again, briefly talk about those who maybe have never heard of the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Association or mm-hmm. the Team Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, they know, I'm sure they know of the Olympians, they know of the Olympics, yes. but what does the foundation do? What does the USSA do? Yeah. So the U.S. Ski and Snowboard um, Team Foundation is actually the fundraising arm for the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Association. Um, the, the association is the organization that trains educates and and creates our ski and snowboard Olympians. And it's headquartered right here in Park City. Headquartered right Mm -hmm. here in in Park City. Uh, Surprisingly, not everyone knows that. Um, I am surprised people don't know that. I know, I know. We have a beautiful training training Mm -hmm. center out at Quinn's Junction, and I encourage anyone that wants to uh, come in and see what we're doing to, to Is it give free me to the a public? call. Like you could come in or you have to set an they appointment. Probably or? should call me just, um, we, we may get to a point where we're doing some, you know, community tours and stuff like that. We're just not there yet. Anyone can contact me and I'll, and I'll give them a, a tour of the center, but we're creating, uh, Olympians and we're helping not only create exceptional athletes, incredible athletes, but we're also creating individuals, you know, the whole person. So we're providing education, um, career, life skills, training, um, kind of, you know, because mm-hmm. these, these athletes start with us young and a lot of times they kind of, you know, set college aside. And so we're making sure we're, we're building the full, the person. full person so that when it's time for them to retire, um, you know, they can go on and, and be successful in whatever they do. Do you have an average age of when Olympians come to you? Pre-Olympians, I should say. Gosh, it, it depends on the sport. It's the other thing that maybe not everyone realizes. We, yeah, what are we, the sports you the cover? The sports that we cover are free skiing, fun new sports. Um, the Sage Kotchenberg. Yes, and, exactly. Yeah. Okay. That you saw at the <laughs> everyone knows, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They've become um, a new fan. Everybody around the country is now a fan. <laughs> So true. Um, the traditional, you know, alpine, but freestyle, which is moguls and, and aerials, uh, mm-hmm. cross country, and then Nordic combined, uh, which is the combination between cross country skiing and, and jumping. Oh. And those are the key ones. Okay, yeah, got those it. Those are the key ones. I so think. not luge or bobsled? Nope. Okay, no. that's separate. Yep. And then our, the jumping athletes, so the women's ski jumping and the men's ski jumping are actually separate entities. Uh, those are separate en- as entities. well. We, we work together, they're, they're especially the women ski jumpers, because they're all from Park City. You'll see them in our training right. center, okay. center any mm-hmm. given day. So there is some close ties uh, with those organizations, but yeah. And so this is a question I've just heard anecdotally, but mm-hmm. so you have these Olympians and they have these sponsors that, you know, they always hear about. So the, maybe someone may ask, why would, do they need money? Because they've got all these corporate sponsors, don't they, to take care of these athletes. Mm-hmm. So talk about a little bit, what do you fundraise for? Is it for the education piece that's separate from, or how does that work with the corporate uh, endorsements? So um, we are supporting about 250 athletes on, okay, on, a, lot. on 250. an annual basis. Of those 250 athletes, how many do you know? Yeah, probably two or three, maybe. So two or three are marketable. Yeah, Yeah, got it. And have those sponsorships. There you go. The 95% of them do not. Got it. And it's a very expensive sport to train, to travel all over the world. Um, makes you know, sense. Yeah. So, it, so that's where it comes that's in. Exactly. Yeah. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Well, that's good. I think the word needs to get out more of what you do and how many people you really handle. Yeah. So 250 a year. Mm-hmm. And then do you have a lot of turnover or is it a lot of the same people stay around? It probably depends, doesn't it? Who has the real potential to move forward? Yeah. You'll see most of the um, retirements uh, post-Olympics. You know, we're working with, you know, pretty much the same athletes for what we call a quad 
from Olympics to Olympics. Um, and usually you don't see many of them leave unless they're injured, you know, and, and just the road back is, is going to be too tough. Um, and then post-Olympics you'll see a, a lot of uh, kids um, transition off and then get a new batch new, coming new in, so, coming in. Yeah. so say someone wants to get involved or get i mean they love the olympics they love freestyle skiing yeah. so is there a way to get involved or is it more just uh, a place to visit and maybe to support what how would you yeah, recommend no, them to get involved? there's there's a, a lot of different ways to get involved and i think that you know the best way is to call me um, at the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Team Foundation, you can you can find us online at okay. ussa.org, yeah, org. I think we own everything. <laughs> okay, is it? So, all right, yeah. all of those. Okay. U.S. Ski and Snowboard Team Foundation.org. Um, and just look for Trish Worthington. Yeah, yeah, or any, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I like to you know talk to people and just find out you know what interests them, what sport are they interested in, how do they want to get involved, and we have just an array of different programs. Um, you know, it can be as involved as just coming to events or if you want to train with the team, we can, really? we can get you on the hill to train with the team. Um, if you want to train like an Olympic athlete, we have a program called Executive Excellence. Really? Um, where Interesting. You, you work with our sports scientists in, in the training center. And they set up a, a program uh, for you, and it, it, you can continue it for a year, and you can just, through an app, communicate with our sports scientists on a daily basis. I think a lot of people would sign up for that, I know, I know. I, I'm, it's, it's especially in Park City with all exactly. these, like, you know, High achievers. Hard, mm-hmm. hardcore athletes here. Exactly. Um, or, or if you're just coming back from an injury, and if there's anyone who knows how to repair no um, you know, people after injury, it's the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Association. And, and, you know, that program. Uh, would help with that too so there's just a, an, an amazing you know different ways to, to, to get involved very interesting well mm-hmm. we're out of time but it's been fascinating and it's so fun to get to know a little bit more about you and you know how long you've been involved but most of all just what an exciting job and yeah. I love the fact you're doing what you love to do and it's your passion it and it shows and that's why I think you're so effective yes. so yes and I, I noticed the other day I was watching like a uh, uh, Sochi uh, video like reels from from Sochi and all these kids winning their medals and I'm like crying I'm wow like, why am I crying you know but I'm like so passionate, passionate. I guess. there you is, go is yeah. right? I'm like mm-hmm. I love what I'm doing I'm helping these kids do that so what a great thing though right yeah. if you love what you do you never have worked a day in your life kind yeah. of thing right that's right. the saying and yeah. that's and again I just know as another nonprofit leader I've certainly seen that in the Park City Community Foundation mm-hmm. that you are uh, I think you exude excitement and enthusiasm yeah. and that just shows and that's wonderful so I'm so glad you found a great another spot yeah. back to where you used to be right. and uh, you're going to just you know help that organization thrive and soar to the next level thank you Trish thanks again for being in the studio and really appreciate your time thanks Rob